Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to Who's Talking, the podcast where we talk about all things Doctor Who. I'm Michael. And I'm Maggie. And this week we're going to be talking about Chapter 4 of Doctor Who Flux, Village of the Angels. Devon, November 1967. A little girl has gone missing. Professor Jericho is conducting psychic experiments. And in the village graveyard, there is one gravestone too many. Why is Metterton known as the Cursed Village, and what do the Weeping Angels want? So, Maggie, correct me if I'm wrong, but was that not the best episode so far this season? That was the best episode so far this season. That was the best episode in a long time. I, When I finished watching it, I went, like, mentally, I was like, this feels premature, but that might have been the best episode of the 13th Doctor's run. Perhaps? But I'd have to go rewatch a couple of my favorites in Yeah, I would have to go and rewatch seasons. Demons of the Punjab and um, the Nikola Tesla episode and the Mary Shelley episode. Which, speaking of the Mary Shelley episode, this was co-written by the woman who wrote that episode. Yeah, it's the first episode that's been co-written this season, isn't it? And the only one. Which just goes to show how great of a writer that she is. I, I desperately hope that when... Russell T. Davies takes over, that he gives Maxine Alderton a call and that she gets to write at least one more episode because this is the second in a row that she has done that was basically one of the standouts of that season. Absolutely. And I think that just sort of, uh, not to launch into the spoilers too soon, but we're about to talk a little bit about um, the different storylines that happen. And I I'm curious as to how much of each story each writer did, if they just sort of separately had Chibnall doing Bell and Vinder's stuff and then let Maxine Alderton have her fun in Midderton. I'm suspecting that this, the, the Weeping Angel stuff may have been an episode that had been pitched for the original season 13 because they had been in the process of of not quite pre-production, but they certainly would have been writing scripts before the pandemic hit. And there's been speculation that the Santaran episode and this one may have been carried over from those early season 13 scripts. So I'm, I'm guessing that a lot of the, like, like the, the stuff with Peggy, the missing girl and the general weeping angel like structure mm-hmm. was probably from that, from a pre- flux script and then maxine alderton and chibnall may have worked together to retrofit the flux storyline into it which i say retrofit which kind of implies that they didn't do a good job but they they did a great job like it felt so natural like i complained that the santarans didn't feel like they belong like like it felt like very standalone whereas this one i thought the weeping angels felt like a natural part of what was going on because they tied them in yeah, it felt like a really nice, conclusive moment where you were just sort of like, oh, that makes sense, given everything else we know. But before we get into that, I want to touch on the part of the episode that maybe didn't work quite as well, which for me is the Bell and Vinder storyline, which is still compelling, mostly because of Thaddea Graham's performance being just immediately endearing. Sadia Graham needs to, needs to just, I would say she needs to lead her own show, but Netflix canceled her show, so. What show was she in? The Irregulars. It was great. It was about a bunch of, uh, 
kids who were helping out uh, Dr. Watson. Like, like John Watson? Yeah, like John Watson. Okay. And it was just, it was very fun. But yeah, I just, I felt like their storyline was not, it didn't feel like it belonged in this episode, which was otherwise like very self-contained aside from the, the broader connections. But it was like, all of this was happening. And then we were like, and now we're going to go do something else for a minute when we could have maybe spent that time with Yaz and Dan a little bit. Yeah, it felt very much like we're watching two different shows. And both those shows are great and compelling, but I want to get back to The Weeping Angels. Which is sad because, you know, the other episodes, when they've got Belle and Vinder, I'm like, I want to learn about them. I want to focus on their story. But this one, I was just like, yeah, they could, they can, they can go off and do their own thing. I don't really care. I want to see the angels. I think some of that's because Belle didn't get as much to do this week as she did last week. Like last week, we saw her fighting the Daleks, the Cybermen, yada, yada. This week, she arrives on a planet, finds a guy saves him from Azor capturing him in a passenger suit, and then that's it. It felt like one scene that they made into, like, three scenes. That's fair. I can see that, yeah. And so, because of that, every popping back repeatedly is like, why are we here again? Nothing happened last time. That being said, I am curious about the passenger. I mean, I know that part of it is nefarious, but there's a part of me that wonders if she isn't being a little bit honest about the salvation because we know that the passengers are most likely going to come into play in the finale yeah so in theory she is saving all of these people from the flux yeah i I, i'm curious as to what her her plan is for them like it's easy to assume she means them harm because like because everything about her but every villain thinks that they're the hero of their own story. So maybe exactly. she's playing hero. Considering they seem involved in this whole, you know, still sort of vague war between time and space. I can see her, like, thinking, I'm going to save some people before time and space destroy the universe and we'll start over again somewhere else. Like, I, I could see a world where her and Swarm save people so that they can rule over them later. Oh, yeah. I was going to say they, you know establish themselves as gods because that's essentially what Azir uh, did here. I don't know. I just, I feel like you probably liked the Bell and Vinder stuff a little bit more than I did. I would, I would watch an entire show of the Bell and Vinder stuff. It just felt not like Doctor Who, which was sort of the issue that I had. Like, it felt like I was watching two different shows. Yeah. So segueing from that into Yaz and Dan, who I felt are still getting a little bit of the short end of the stick. They're absolutely getting the short end of the stick. At least they were more relevant this week. Yeah, but I feel like Yaz shows up to just sort of... This season, it feels like she's just suddenly become... First off, she's suddenly become a cop again. Which I'm happy about, because it was an intriguing part of her character in the first place. I just wish they hadn't dropped it for two seasons. Yeah, because now it feels completely out of place. So it's like, oh, okay, that's relevant again. Probably could have used you when we were investigating some different stuff in previous seasons, but, you know. But aside from that, I think it's nice to see how Dan and Yaz relate to each other as the Doctor's companions without the Doctor. Yeah, I think I think that was the thing that uh, the thing about their storyline this week that I think Chibnall and Alderton did the best was 
the different exploring the differing reactions that Yaz and Dan have to the situation they're in because they they get sent back in time via the weeping angels and Dan has this moment where he's like are we going to get back home and and it's a moment that Yaz doesn't have and John Bishop like plays melancholy super well in that in that moment and it's just he interesting does. To see the the dynamic between somebody who's kind of used to being in this danger and somebody who's not. Because this is, like, still the same... This is Dan's first adventure still. Like, he he's not used to this. This is still, for him, story one. And it's like, this poor man has just been put through the ringer moment after moment in a way that most companions aren't... Like, most companions don't go through this emotional turmoil until like the mid-season point or later in their first season. Yeah, and I think I don't think Yaz had to deal with that until later on too. Which is interesting because her reaction to Dan saying that was just very much like she didn't understand how to answer it because she's so used to the doctor swooping in and saving the day. But there's never actually a guarantee that the doctor is going to save her. I, I would be interested, because next week it looks like they're still in the early 1900s. I would be curious to see if that, like, has started to dawn on her, where where she's finally had to face, like, the possibility of not being saved. Because you noticed when, um, in the Christmas special, or New Year's special, she was very much not dealing with the reality that the doctor could just go away and the doctor wouldn't be able to get back to them. She was just decidedly pretending that that wasn't what was happening. And I think, again, if we want to talk about this mental health storyline, putting off dealing with emotions like that is going to build and build and build. I think there's a chance for something real to emerge within the next three years that Yaz and Dan are going to be spending in the 1900s. And I just, I hope there's enough time in these final two episodes for them to actually explore that. Cause there's a lot to get through still. There's so much to get through. And that's my big worry is that they're going to sort of throw the characterization just out the window in order to tie up all the loose ends of the plot points, because there are so many loose ends of plot points. Maybe hear me out. We didn't need, like, eight concurrent plot lines to make a compelling story. No, really? I mean, not to mention Joseph Williamson for, like, the fourth week in a row, but I assume they're going to do something with, with him next week. And he wasn't in this episode, to be fair. But, like, that's, like, the first thing you can think of to cut is, like, well, that guy. What's he, what have we done with him yet? I was fully expecting him to randomly show up in just in the, that underground in the tunnel, tunnel in yeah. Mitterton. I was just like, oh, that's where the tunnel's gonna go. That would have ruined the moment for me. I'd have I'd have taken an entire half star off of the episode solely for him. How many stars did you end up giving the episode? Four and a half, because I rarely I rarely give five stars to anything. Four and a half is high for you. So for the first one I did a four and a half, because I thought that was also really good. Episodes two and three got fours from me because they had problems, but I still overall liked them. And this week was would have gotten a five probably if they had cut the the Bell and Vinder storyline 
and beefed up Yaz and Dan a little bit more. I can see that. I can definitely see that. Because everything else is great, including the big reveal of Claire being a clairvoyant. He, he, he was waiting to make that pun, you guys. <laughs> he, he, he has been waiting for that chance. Doctor Who didn't take the opportunity to make that pun, so he's got to do it for you. But yeah, so we, we, Claire was not a Clara Echo, as it turned out. No, but if she's getting all of these premonitions, I think that it is possible that she has picked up something from Clara somewhere along the line. Fair enough. Considering Clara just sort of wrapped herself into the Doctor's time stream. The way Although she- it seems to be premonitions of the future, so it's hard to guess there. Yeah, but she's not really sure if it's the future or the past. Fair enough. Fair enough. So when we first saw her in the first episode, apparently she'd just recently seen a vision of the Doctor and Yaz, and that's how she found them, which is why she was so uncertain about whether or not they'd meet, because she didn't know if her visions would come true, which makes perfect sense in hindsight. It does. And I think the sand thing, I saw that and I was like, oh, wait, that happened to Amy. Everything they did with the Weeping Angels this week. It was just, it was fantastic. It's so perfectly built on stuff they'd done previously. Like a lot of it was the image of an angel being an angel thing, Mm -hmm. but but turned up to like an 11. But even like the the, the dust out of the eye. Or would you say it was dialed up to a 13? All right. Yes, I would say that. (laughs) But the dust out of the eye. The dust out of the eye. um, The angel talking. The multiple angels talking and the, and the different ways that they went around, they went about getting them to talk, you know, through the TV or through, you know, the doctor mind melding with Claire. All of it just felt like very true to the weeping angels, but also sort of evolving them in a way that didn't feel like it was done just for a cheap reaction or done in a, in a contradictory way. Like it felt like a natural evolution like, like you've peeled off a layer and you're learning more about them, but they still feel like dangerous and mysterious. It's a lot less of um, the Statue of Liberty is a weeping angel for fun CGI reasons. Yeah, it's a lot less of that and more like I haven't felt this threatened by the weeping angels Definitely since not. Blink. The, the sound of them banging on every like exterior surface of the house is the stuff of nightmares. And the fact of the matter is that it's just a darker episode visually, and I feel like that ups the spook factor. Yeah, for sure. The The director was very smart to, like... And I'm sure the script, to some degree, is also responsible for this. But setting the episode at night and, and really playing up hiding the angels in shadow makes them scarier because you can't see them that well. All you see is the little bit of stone and the moonlight reflecting off the stone. And it's like, did that just move out of the corner of my eye? Is it? It's closer now, right? It's closer. And then you're you're touched and you get zapped back in time and bad things happen to you. I haven't been properly... You're, you're right. They haven't been threatening. I mean, Angels Take Manhattan was amazing, but... But it's not scary. Yeah. They're never scary in that episode. It's a fun episode for other reasons. They're only kind of scary in the the Flesh and Stone two-parter. But the longer that episode went on, the less scary they got. Yeah. And this one was like, oh no, these angels could kill me. And that added with the the division of it all. It really heightened all of the stakes, like, story-wide. 
because they have such they have such a part to play in whatever's going on with the division. I, I mentioned feeling like the Santarans didn't work in the in their story as well, and I think it's because they weren't tied in. Like it felt that felt like just a we're going to have an adventure, whereas this felt like the Weeping Angels. It, it, the Doctor is in more danger because the Weeping Angels are part of this. And because, as we learned, they're part of the Division, who are searching for a rogue weeping angel that has taken refuge within Claire's mind, because she had a vision of it. And so the vision of the angel became the angel in her mind, which is... that When they when they spelled that out, I was like, oh, that's clever. That is really clever. I It was just fun, the way that they used the image of an angel becomes an angel... Did you catch when the uh, the lie detector machine started drawing the, yes. the the picture? I was like, oh, again, it's just like the Weeping Angels have never felt so powerful as they did this week. Just everything that could go wrong to allow them to get a foothold was going wrong. There was there were no easy escapes, and it was just the visual that I especially liked was when they were in the cave and there were all the hands reaching through the walls. I was like, why was this not the Halloween episode? The Halloween episode was not spooky. This was, this was... Way scarier. So much scarier. Why was this the middle of November? I don't know, but it was, it was brilliant and I was very pleased with it. What's a, what's a September holiday? Like, like late September. When's Arbor Day? (laughs) We're going back to the Arbor Day special. (laughs) The Arbor Day apocalypse. (laughs) Featuring J.R.R. Tolkien. Side note, why haven't we done a J.R.R. Tolkien episode of Doctor Who yet? That's that's my whole pitch for the Arbor Day episode. Somebody hire Maggie to write the Arbor Day episode. The trees have eyes. The trees ha- the trees have more than eyes, and they. <laughs> that was that was my pitch for the title. The trees have eyes. Oh, that was your pitch for the title. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like I like the trees have more eyes more than eyes though. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that image in the tunnel was just creepy. But before we before we get that far. The, the, the division is looking for the angel, right? The angel in Claire's head. And they eventually get through the tunnel, losing Jericho. R.I.P. Jericho. He's not dead. He's in 19-0-whatever. <laughs> so he's was probably dead by 1967. No, it was 1901. Was it 01? Yeah. So it's going to be 1904 okay. when we uh, next see them. Got you. I, I just knew they were in the early 1900s, <laughs> a long time ago. Anyway, the doctor and Claire make it through the tunnel alive. But it's a trap. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> she gets out there and finds that the weeping angel that's inside Claire's mind has actually sold her out. Because it turns out the only person the division wants more than a rogue weeping angel who has all their knowledge is the doctor. Which also, I guess, implies that the division is still operational. Not only does it imply that the division is still operational, it they recalled the doctor. And the doctor Became turned a into weeping a weeping angel. angel. Which, side note, is that not, like, one of the most horrifying images you have seen in a long time? I thoroughly applaud their commitment to subpar CGI because that would have been horrifying if they tried to do that hyper-realistically. I just thought, even though the CGI is a little bit wonky, it was such a nice blending for me of the practical and the, the digital that I was like, I, it was still scary enough that I'm glad they didn't do hyper-realistic because it would have been just... I still can't believe that this went out. 
that scene would have aired in the seven o'clock hour in the UK. Oh, those poor kids. Yeah, like that's that's scary. That like, is and that's scary. the hero. It's the hero of the story getting turned into a monster in a pretty body horror kind of way. I know we didn't we didn't watch that in the Chronicles of Narnia when everybody gets turned to stone. They just are turned to stone. Yeah, this happened on screen like everything like even rewinding a little bit with with claire like sprouting angel wings and turning to stone like her hands turning to stone and the dust out of her eye there's so much like scary imagery and i'm not one who like believes that like you can't scare children you can absolutely scare children i remember being a child and adoring scary things because it's like you get to be afraid in a controlled environment so the angels have captured the doctor and fro- like like turned her into a weeping angel, Han Solo frozen into carbonite style, to, I guess, transport her to wherever the, the division wants her. Did you read that as the doctor has a sort of sleeper agent uh, call signal thing going on where she didn't know that she was actually a weeping angel? Or did you read it as they used their weeping angel powers to turn her into a weeping angel? I read it as, because they'd been setting up that whole quantum extraction thing. I read that as that's the result of the quantum extraction. Is they, you get turned into a weeping angel. So I did not read it as there being a weeping angel inside her. I read it as the weeping angels did this to her in that moment. I didn't read it as there was a weeping angel inside her so much as... There was part of her repressed memory, sort of like with sleeper agents in oh, spy movies. Oh, oh, oh. I think it was like a code say, word. Yeah, you to, say the trigger and bing, bang, boom. I didn't read it as that, honestly. I, I just thought that was a fun one-liner. I definitely see where you're going, and you could totally be right. Like, when I watched it, I was just like, oh, there, you've been recalled. Because I just assumed that it was the payoff for the quantum extraction thing. Well, because my thought, and I know I said this about the Morai last time, but my thought is the Division's working with the Angels, and they're basically, the Angels are doing the Division's bidding. And so we have that, and then we have the Doctor, who is presumably doing the Division's bidding by turning into an Angel. Do you think the Time Lords made the Weeping Angels? And... Maybe they didn't come from Morai. Maybe I was wrong with that last week. But do you think that the Time Lords made Weeping Angels out of other Time Lords, maybe? Or just lots of different species? I don't know that I necessarily think that. Mostly because I'm not entirely convinced that, you know, the Division knows that this event has happened. So much as the Weeping Angels made a decision in the moment that the Doctor would be a better offer than the Rogue Angel. But back to your actual question, it had been that 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 theory has been around since the end of time when Rassilon mentioned the the weeping angels, the weeping of old. angels of old, and they had that that woman covering her eyes. I personally never subscribed to that, and I still don't. But I feel like there has always been and continues to be like a like a plausibility to it, you know. I just think it's fun, especially if you're going to go through all of this uh, trouble to make a shady, secret Time Lord organization where they go against everything the Time Lords stand for. 
Um, which well, see, I'm I'm seeing some interesting theories about that, which are that some people are starting to think that maybe the division isn't specifically a Time Lord thing. Well, that's true. We know the Lupari work for them as well. Well, but not even just that, but may not even be working to benefit the interests of Time Lord society, but maybe their own thing that may have started on Gallifrey, but now has their own interests that they are trying to further. Well, I know there's definitely been some chatter about why make the division a rogue Time Lord thing when you already have the CIA in canon. I've said it before. I've I've always assumed the division and the CIA were one and the same, that it was a different name for the same organization. I'm beginning to think that less now. I also think that less. I have seen a theory that it's like an evolution or perhaps an offshoot. Like it started as the CIA and evolved into something much bigger that usurped the Time Lords. I do think there is a, a pretty decent chance that the division is an offshoot of if not specifically the CIA, then a similar organization with a similar intent that then grew out of control. But also, if if this, the division exists still, that could mean there are more Time Lords. Like, I know they're not, the division's not exclusively Time Lords, but there are Time Lords in the division. This is true. So there could be more Time Lords, which would mean the Doctor is... Not the last of the Time Lords, even though she wasn't anyway, but... I mean, the Master destroyed Gallifrey, but the Master wouldn't have had the ability to bring every single Time Lord in the universe back to Gallifrey. And at minimum, we know one wasn't on Gallifrey, because the Twelfth Doctor kicked him off. Rassilon wouldn't have been on Gallifrey. He would not have been. Because he'd been exiled. Yes, indeedy. Which is interesting, because... Now you gotta wonder if they're gonna have the opportunity to bring Rassilon back. I don't know how I would feel about Rassilon coming back in the Flux per se. Because yeah. I, I have seen that theory that you've seen, and I've the thought is that he's going to be the one to explain the Flux and all that, which I don't think it's necessary. I, we have way too many plots going right now to throw in Oh, hey, remember this plot from way back? We're bringing it here. Well, the only reason I would argue that he would be relevant is if the Flux has anything to do with the Doctor's origins, because he would have played a part in that. Because him and Tektian were contemporaries. So if the Flux is somehow related to the Timeless Child stuff, I can see how he'd make sense to have in. I would just imagine they just wouldn't bother explaining how he's alive. But that's a big if. And now it's time for Maggie's costume update. Last week I was so excited about 1960s and I was like, 1960s <laughs> costumes. And Did you get your costumes? We got some. I thought Claire's costume was fun. Peggy's costume was adorable. We got the Doctor as the Weeping Angel, which is such a cool look that... Um, might be on my list of dream cosplays but also next week we are getting the uh the companions having spent three years in the 19 
hundreds. We're and getting we're, the companions in proper historical we outfits. We are. We are getting them by necessity. There's no way to do that story without giving them proper 1900s clothing. This has been Maggie's Costume Update. So speaking of things that might happen in the next episode, well, not even might happen, will happen. Kate Stewart's back, Kate Maggie. Kate Stewart's back! <laughs> and it looks like Unit is back. Right before we started recording this, they, they released some promo pictures for next week. And in the one that features Kate Stewart is a screen behind her that has the Unit logo on it. Meaning they didn't just bring Kate Stewart back. Unit has potentially been reformed. Which I did not know how much I liked Unit and Kate and Osgood and the folks at Unit until they're like, oh yeah, Unit was defunded. And then I was just sort of like, what? What in the gosh darn fudge? Um, except I didn't say fudge. Kate Stewart's back though. Kate Stewart's back. And I, the entire internet has exploded with adoration for Kate Lethbridge Stewart, who is so welcome back. And Chibnall will be writing her again because he wrote her first episode. So it'll be interesting to see him return to a character that he maybe didn't introduce because it's hard to know when, you know, you're a guest writer writing for a showrunner, like who created the character. But it'll be interesting to see him write for her again after, what's it been, eight years? I'm just, and she's talking to the Grand Serpent, the the, the, the vendor bad guy. Or it looks, that's what it looks like, is that they're talking to each other. It could be a clever trailer thing. But it would be very interesting because I was not sure if we were going to see the Grand Serpent again. And he's back! Going back to the Doctor a little bit. Obviously, the Doctor's not going to die. You know, she'll presumably survive this Weeping Angel thing. But I'm so glad she wasn't in the Next Time trailer. It was very nice to have them not spoil that for us. It keeps the stakes high. Exactly. Like, we know she'll appear again. Because we know that she doesn't regenerate until... The Centennial special. But we don't know how she gets out of it, which is the fun. So, like, I... Or if she gets out of it, maybe she doesn't, like, wake up until she's back with the Division. And then that's a whole other kind of can of worms. How is she going to escape them? Or is she? I mean, if this is a sleeper agent situation, and she is now, like, brainwashed... I just think it, it, there's so many possibilities they could go with it. I'm so glad they didn't even tease what it was. That like now we have all week because I'm I'm not entirely sure she'll be in the next episode because it is called Survivors of the Flux, and I could see a world where they decide to focus on like the 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 everyday people who have survived the flux. Like they could actually do a whole episode about Bell and Vinder's storyline. Yeah. An episode that where it would make sense to focus on them. So if this episode is Belle and Vinder and Joseph Williamson just gallivanting around uh, the fractured time and space. Yeah, isn't Dan are in it too? And, and Jericho. And Kate Stewart and Grand Serpent. But is Carvinista going to be there? Yes, he's in the trailer. <laughs> I did notice that and I was like, oh, Michael's going to be so happy. <laughs> But he's, is he leaving? He mentions that the, the defense is down. And then like a, a ship pulls away from what looks like the Lupari defense. 
Well, we know the, the Lupari worked for the Division, or some Lupari have worked for the Division. What if Carvanista's gotten recalled because they've captured the Doctor? It's possible. But anyway, I'm not entirely convinced the Doctor will be in the episode, or if she is, will be in it in a significant way. And I think that'll be interesting, because, like, historically, the, the Doctor Light episodes have been fairly hit or miss. Yeah, they're either, you either get a turn left or a love and monsters, and there's not really any in between. Exactly. Like, blink, turn left are all, like, on the same level of good. Oh, yeah. But then you've got love and monsters. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I want her to be in the episode, because, like, I don't want to have to wait another week to find out what happened to her, because I'm impatient. And also, there are only but six episodes. Think... What are you going to do? Yeah. Well, you could spend this episode wrapping up a lot of the other subplots. If you if you focused on, you know, like like Joseph Williamson, Bell and Vinder, Jericho, yada yada, you could wrap up a lot of stuff here and then segue into the Doctor saving the day in episode six, which I suspect they might end up doing to some degree. I could see that. I could definitely see that happening. But I also suspect in terms of plot lines they haven't wrapped up i don't think they're necessarily done with claire yet because they didn't exactly say what they were going to do with her i would not be shocked if she came back in, in one way or another i would like to see her come back and help the doctor either with or without the rogue angel in her head i want to i want to know that she's not dead because i think that that just be it'd be unnecessarily sad it is unnecessarily sad, and the Doctor's been through so much, and you sort of see that on the Doctor's face when she realized they targeted you to get to me, and that that whole line. Yeah. And the sort of, the weight that carries for her every single time, and it keeps happening, and it breaks her a little more each time. Kind of on that note, something that I walked away from the episode curious, I don't want to say confused, because I wasn't confused necessarily, but curious about is... Can we trust anything that any of the Weeping Angels have said? Like, can we trust that that rogue agent was actually a rogue agent and wasn't trying and the whole thing wasn't, wasn't a, judge, a trap. double agent? Because that yeah. that was definitely a theory that I had, but I wasn't sure how much like it held water. Yeah, because it's like that angel was quick to just get rid of the doctor. Like. And the doctor, like, sort of had the reaction of, oh, the whole thing's been a trap then. So I, I, I did leave the episode wondering if the rogue angel had lied to her in the first place and, the, and was just trying to bait her into this trap. Alternatively, can we, tr assuming that the rogue angel was telling the truth, can we trust that the weeping angels won't just try and capture the rogue angel anyway? They're like, they've made a deal with the rogue angel. But will they honor that deal? I mean, they didn't necessarily honor the deal with Peggy. Yeah, exactly. I mean, she's stranded back there. Everybody she's ever known is dead. And then there's, like, old her in 1967. And so she's stuck growing old in the past and has to witness all of this again as an adult. Which, side note, how tragic was it when Mrs. Hayward, old Peggy, and young Peggy had that conversation with each other through the, the the timeline where they're both sort of realizing 
what the moment is and what 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 young Peggy's future is, and old Peggy realizes what the significance of what she witnessed as a child was. God, and how tragic is it to grow up n- knowing in the back of your mind the fate that awaits? Maybe she didn't remember Mrs. Haywood specifically, but she certainly knew enough to remember to tell everybody to leave the town. Yeah. So she has grown up with that weight on her shoulders, knowing that this horrible tragedy is going to happen and she can do nothing to stop it. And it's those moments like that where you can tell that that was probably part of a different storyline. Like that was probably a pre-flux thing. That whole premise of the town, the cursed town... Where in 1901, the village disappears, and in 1967, the village disappears. And it's noteworthy enough that Claire is able to find this out in the future through a simple Google search for the town's name. I feel like they maybe could have done a little bit more with the, 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 the idea that the town loses its people. And they, and they would have done that had it not been for the Flux stuff. But I think the Flux stuff is so well tied in that i'm not i'm not really that mad about it oh no definitely not it's like oh i'd have been i'd be curious to know what the ending of this episode would have been pre-flux but i think it's going to be very cool to see either way i think yeah whether the doctor's there whether the doctor's not there whether we get more stuff more lore about the town or whether we just explore what it's like to be stuck in 1903 i cannot emphasize how excited i am for next week's episode even without like knowing like whether we'll get any answers or anything like it's just it's been set up so well i'm 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 excited not because it's an episode of doctor who and i freaking love doctor who but i I actually really want to know what happens next yes and this episode just did such a better job of like naturally making me want to watch the next episode like remember last week how i complained about the cliffhanger feeling tacked on yes whereas in this week like the last 10 minutes of the episode are all setting things up for next week but in a way that felt like super natural in a way where like they wrapped up the story they were telling here like i would not be upset if we never saw this town again no they totally ended the story so this felt like a story, but with, with, with the ending of that story naturally propelling you into the next one, rather than the story ending and them tacking on something to propel you into the next one. Yeah, there was there was the o- there was an overlap of it. But this this episode, you can rewatch this episode. Like in five years, I don't think I could rewatch Once Upon Time, or the Halloween Apocalypse, or even really the War of the Santarans episode. Not as standalones. But this one I think you could just about just watch on its own. The Bell and Vendor stuff is would be weird on a standalone rewatch. And the cliffhanger would make you want to watch the next episode. But I feel like this one was like 95% a standalone story with that just little tag. In the way that like Utopia is basically a standalone except for the master thing at the end. Or t- same with Turn Left. And it's nice to have those episodes, because I know we were talking about, uh, before the season started, we were talking a little bit about our fear that there weren't going to be episodes like that in such a serialized season as this is. Uh, so it's very nice, and I am very pleasantly surprised that we were given that gift. 
It reminds me, I said this earlier, how, you know, you can tell that this episode was co-written by the same person who wrote the Mary Shelley episode, because that one does a similar thing of feeling like a standalone story that perfectly sets up the next episode, where I can rewatch the Mary Shelley episode as its own thing, even though it kind of ends on a cliffhanger. Absolutely. And if you want to hear our thoughts on the next episode, you guys can tune in next week when we break down Chapter 5 of Flux, Survivors of the Flux. Thank you so much for listening and have a great day.